Tina Smith grew up in a small Midwest town, one of 10 children born into a Catholic family. She married in 2003, became a foster mom in 2004, and became a homeschool mom in 2011. Both her son and her daughter have graduated from high school and in two weeks will further their studies at the local community college. Tina joins us today to share what she learned during her 11 years as a homeschool mom. Welcome, Tina, to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Please share with us your journey as a foster mom and as a homeschool mom. We started fostering my son when he was 17 months. And when he went to kindergarten, first, second grade, he was still doing visitations with his biological parents. And he was having some struggles at school in general, making the transitions back and forth. So we also had him tested for learning disabilities. And we noticed there were some learning disabilities. And unfortunately, not all teachers are equipped to handle that. And not everything off of his 504 plan was being followed. So when we realized we would be adopting, we knew we wanted to start our homeschool journey. We just kept our daughter home and started her kindergarten year straight from home. And then my son's adoption went through in September. But instead of making too many quick changes, because now all visitations were ending with his biological parents and different things were happening, we let him stay in school until the Christmas break. And then we made the split. Then we came home and kind of did the unschool and let's just take a long break. And then we got started homeschooling with him as well. He graduated from high school last year in 2021. So during his senior year, he started taking a class at the local community college just to start getting his feet wet and getting back out there. He had done co-ops and different outside classes, but we wanted him to start getting a feel for what was going to be expected on the next journey in life. Good kid, but definitely has to work hard for what he needs. So we went ahead and we started him. He did great at the community college. He graduated and now he is, I guess, considered a part-time student because he carries three classes. So it's not the full-time load, but he is definitely at the local college. Your daughter also has graduated from high school? She has. She just graduated in June, this past June, a couple of months ago. She's 16. So she graduated two years early. I like to consider her homeschool journey trial by error, lots of errors, but worked to our advantage for whatever reason. She's a quick study, a quick learner. It worked out when my son was doing some of his classes at a younger age, she would sit through with us. So she was getting all of that. So when it was time to start kind of repeating stuff with her, she had a lot of that and she was moving full steam ahead. She just kind of took her own path and she always wanted more, more, more. She thrives on books. She thrives to do her best and she is a perfectionist. So she took her own path and we just kind of let her lead the way there and made sure she was following what she needed. And she graduated early. You know, we were either keep sending her through high school or let her go to college. So she's going to start at the community college this fall. You said you learned some things by trial and error. Let's pretend I am a mom with two children and I'm on the fence about homeschooling. I'm concerned about, can I do it? How much time is it going to take? What about socialization? 
what about the legal requirements? Help put all of my questions and fears to ease. What would you tell me? I would suggest to anyone who wants to start to become familiar with the laws for their state. A lot of the counties, your local counties have the homeschool laws on there. You can probably go to your public school website and it tells you how to file like a notice of intent, which lets the school board know that you're going to homeschool your kids. And there's always a deadline for each county when the deadline needs to be submitted. You need to give an idea of what you're going to teach. You don't need to tell them what curriculum you're using, but you do need to say like, I'm going to teach math, English, social studies, science to my kids. You definitely have to list the basic classes that you're teaching to the kids. My first suggestion would be, unless you truly know it's the right move, and a lot of homeschool parents don't know right from the beginning, I would not recommend anyone purchase a box curriculum. Nothing is wrong with them, but until you know how your, your child learns, a box curriculum may not be the best thing. And again, nothing is wrong with them. I know lots of people who use them. I would just not suggest that until you know. I would say pick a couple of different things. Go to some Facebook websites. There's lots of homeschooling groups out there. Just look over and see. You might be the where your kids need to have a ton of books and have stuff in front of them. You might be the one who wants to go outdoors and learn science and learn about botany and nature out there. You might do a lot of field trips and then just go to the library and get books on science or get books on history, where if you have a box curriculum, you need to do what they're telling you to do with some modifications since you're the parent and the teacher. You can't always get a square peg to fit in a round hole. So that's what I have found is definitely spend your first year kind of experimenting and seeing what works for your kids. What do you mean by a box curriculum? I'm going to use a Becca, which is a great program. I know lots of people who use it, but it, it covers everything in there. It covers like they have the whole curriculum set up for English, science, math, history. Um, and I believe that one is faith-based. There's also Seton uh, Catholic Homeschool, which is a great program. We did that for two years, but everything is set up in there as well. And they give you your expectations of what is expected each day before you move on. So what happens is if your child thrives with them under grammar and under history, that's great. But if they're not thriving under science or math, you might find that this really isn't working for my child. And they are expensive. They are very good, but they are expensive. So I always try to, to avoid those in the beginning. No child when you're homeschooling is ever behind. They're always learning at their own pace. And they may need to go a little slower than the next, or they may go faster than the next. I know about some curricula that you can buy, but I always thought the beauty of homeschool was that you could spend two months on science and go to the science museum and whatever your child has a fancy about and then do some extra research and learn a lot about that topic. And then maybe next month you want to spend time going to a history museum. I know one family who never bought a textbook. The mom went on field trips and mm -hmm. just used the encyclopedias and, and books that she bought or that were at the library. And her daughter graduated with no problem and, and went to college with no problem. You don't have to buy a curriculum. Is that what you're saying? Correct. You do not. 
You do not. Um, some people actually never do like your friend. They never do. It's kind of child led. They let their kids kind of decide the path they want to go on. And then they turn that subject into where it covers everything where it covers science and they study the history of that. And then they might write a paper about it and then they pull some math in there. So it will cover everything. So you never have to buy a curriculum there. That's kind of the beauty of homeschooling. There are tons of options and it depends if some parents don't feel comfortable teaching. So they do like the box. They do like the books. We've done a bit of both to see so that my kids have exposure to a lot of different stuff because once they go off to college they might want to see what it's like just to use those box curriculums or the books and follow along so we have done both but you do not have to at any means and we have purchased stuff in august and found in september yeah this isn't for us and we just ditch it and we start over it's kind of the beauty of homeschooling you find out really what works for your kids and what works for one may not work for the next one. Are there co-ops where you can share teaching with other families? Yes, there is. So I live in an area where homeschooling is very big, very big. So we're very fortunate for that. There are tons of co-ops, some religious, some non-religious, and there are also what they would just consider perhaps play groups for little kids that are actual co-ops, but it's just a play co-op type thing. So yes, there are your majority of co-ops want each parent to teach a course. So I might teach writing and someone else would teach science. So the kids are actually in a group learning. And this usually happens once a week from September to May, the kids are with other kids and they're learning and they're doing experiments. So there is a lot of benefits to that. My daughter just finished one where she did like chemistry, she did government, she did Spanish. You know, my son did one right before he graduated with finance. So there's tons of different options to do. There's art classes. You can take the extracurricular activities through them, or you can just use those to cover your basic courses. And a lot of high school parents truly rely on those for high school classes, but it can be done pretty much from kindergarten on up. So if I want to teach my children at home, but science is really not my strength, then I can do everything else and just belong to this co-op and have my children take classes through the co-op, or I could purchase a curriculum. Correct. Majority of your co-ops do follow a curriculum of some sort, whether it's one that the teacher makes up and writes herself or whether she follows along in a book, you know, depending on her experience or his experience, there are tons of different options. I always recommend co-ops because I think it's great for the kids to learn to interact with other kids in a classroom setting, along with getting some socialization in with that as well. That's one of the criticisms I've heard about homeschools is that, oh, the children don't have socialization. They're home alone with mom and that's not healthy. I wish that were the case. <laughs> I, I really wish we were <laughs> home alone. You know, everybody's always like, do you just like stay home or what do you do? I'm like, well, between Monday through Friday, if we get one day at home, we're pretty fortunate. And we kind of schedule it that way. I did on purpose. We spent some time in the morning doing some studies. The kids would go to a class in the afternoon. I actually had them do an outside class because math is my weakness. So I started them with the tutor or a math instructor early on, like junior high. So they were out Monday afternoon doing that. And then they would do 
some other extracurricular activities just to be out and around other kids. And then, you know, Tuesday, we're out for music. Wednesday, we would do a co-op. Thursday, we're back to math. Friday, we're out at drama. We're out at another group that we belong to. So we're doing school in between all of this. We used to call it, we really just car school because we're just doing school in the car while we're trying to get from point A to point B. We definitely did a lot of socializing. We did lots of field trips. We did a lot of classes. You want to make sure your kids are getting every opportunity they can get. When you say field trips, did you limit your field trips to your general area or did you travel across the state or a region or across the United States? How did that work? We traveled. Most of our stuff was within state. We are fortunate enough to have a homeschool group. It's not a co-op. It's a huge group. There's probably six to 800 families that come together at this group between Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia. The group offers classes. They offer field trips. They would offer uh, trips to Disney. They offered tons of stuff, plus extracurricular activities as well. They had classes, group clubs such as drama, art. So we did a lot of traveling within Virginia. We went to Maryland a couple of times. I'm from the Midwest. So when we had opportunities to go back, we stopped at different places along the way and we studied. You know, we would take our, our little book about states and capitals and things to look at. And we would look at those because it's a little bit more hands-on. It's not just hearing it and just learning it that way. I'm from the Midwest. So when we would travel, we would stop at each state line. We would take our photo. We'd stop at the visitor center. We would look up different things and we would pick, try to pick at least one thing on our way each time to stop and see and to learn about my daughter and son, both loved Abe Lincoln. So when we were in Illinois, we spent a lot of time in Springfield learning about Abe Lincoln. We went to Mark Twain Caves. We learned about Mark Twain. We did different stuff like that so that the kids could learn. So it wasn't just the book. We would read about it and then we would go and find it. And when we would come back, they would write, you know, a paragraph or a page about it. And that could be like history and a writing assignment all in one while on vacation. My late husband and I did the same thing with our children in, in Virginia and up and down the East Coast. And that actually is the reason I started this podcast. And the reason I'm writing my book is that what I found is that when the kids were studying something in history, or their geo a geography book, if I took the children or if we took the children to those places where they could actually touch and walk on the soil, it made it come alive to them. And it made the learning, the academic learning stick to this hands-on learning. And we just did that on weekends and during the summer, not as homeschool. But I think that kind of hands-on experience is so important for children. Exactly. With homeschooling, each child learns differently. So even though my daughter was content to read a book and to take a test, and that's exactly how she liked to do it, where she could read a book and you could ask her questions and she could tell you everything. And it would just, she had a very vivid description. She could describe everything. I mean, it was just perfect. For my son, that was definitely not a, a strength for him. It was his weakness. So to take him to see stuff and to do stuff, 
he knew everything. He is a science kid. So his whole thing was bugs and science. And then we could turn that into history. Like, where did these originate from? Where did this come from? And if we could get to those places, we would. It brought the history alive for him as well. So that's why we kind of did it that way. It was a twofold. It was vacation. It was learning. But it was a good reinforcement for the kids. And it definitely helped my son with all of that background and now like history and geography is one of his favorite subjects go figure as much as he loves science they're like his second favorite I'm like okay if it works we're good with you I just love the fact that you can take something that holds your son's interests and weave all of these other studies around it because you can even include math into some of that by measuring how many centimeters a bug is and comparing it to another bug and what's the percentage of this bug compared to the other. I just love that approach to teaching and learning. And that's what we did a lot with his science because he is a huge bug guy. He loves entomology. So that's what we found. We would take a couple of bugs and he would do comparisons. He would start small, medium, large, extra large, and he would tell how they're all the same, how they're all different. And I would have him write this out. Just give me like two points about each one. You know, you want to start small and then you can keep building as they mature and get older. And that's how a lot of his subjects were done. He could, he would get his art. He could tell you how they were similar, how they were different. He could tell you the history of them. So it took a lot of stuff like that. With my daughter, we did cooking for math when she was little, like, hey, so let's try a half a cup of this. So how many chocolate chips go in there? It would reinforce counting for her, like if we did a quarter cup. So now if you don't have a half a cup, how many chocolate chips would you need? And she would have to add to say, oh, well, instead of needing 20, I would need 40 or instead of need. So to give her that, the reinforcement. So that's how we kind of did stuff from little on to kind of make it fun, but also to say, okay, now here's a real book that we might have to use later on. She's a math kid. Uh, don't know where that came from, but she zoomed through all of her math and she loved it. She did great at it. So each kid just really is so different and you just, you find their learning style and you go with that and you make it unique. And that's why I just, I couldn't pinpoint myself to a certain box curriculum or to a certain thing. My daughter did try a box curriculum. She did the Seton homeschool as a great program. I thought I was going to love it. She loved it. I realized that I was really not that disciplined to sit there and follow through. But as long as she could do it, it was great. And by year two, she's like, I kind of like the other way we do stuff. You know, she's like, I like just going out and learning and doing stuff. Let's talk about time because it doesn't sound like you worked outside of your home. I did not. I was a stay at home mom. Homeschool would be challenging for a family if both parents worked outside the home. Surprisingly, there are a lot of families that do it. Their kids may go to daycare during the day. They may homeschool at night because you do not have to homeschool Monday through Friday from eight to three. You have the flexibility of setting your, your own hours. People who do work outside of the home during the day may homeschool in the evening. They may homeschool on Saturday, you know, so everyone has their own flexibility. We typically did the Monday through Friday with all everything going on. Sometimes we would have to pull a Saturday like, hey, 
we do have to do some schooling today because we need to do something. Regardless, your kids really are doing homeschool every day. They are learning something every day, even when they don't realize it. They don't have to have a book in front of them. When my son was little, he would love to go on walks and bring back stuff that he learned. And he could sit there and tell you everything. Even a day when it wasn't school, he could pull stuff out and then he would draw them. And then he would write on them during the week. So he would, it was like he was preparing for his upcoming week with what he found really clever that really shows he is learning because he's interested and on his own he's seeking out these opportunities correct again homeschooling is very flexible with when you do it what days you know your hours no there's no set you have to do it this time and i know a lot of families who actually homeschool through the summer because it's so hot and take off maybe September to November instead. And some families homeschool year round and just take longer breaks on holidays or for vacations or what have you. So there's a lot of flexibility. You just, you find what works for your family and that's what you go with. We've done year round. We've done, you know, the school year. We've tried lots of different things. We just, we've kind of done whatever works for us. We you know, when we go on vacation, sometimes the kids take their stuff, they pack their little bag and they take it with them if we're sitting at the beach. And when they're done playing, they might do a few things and they go back to playing because it's a great scenery. It's a great time to learn. Again, finding stuff, finding shells, counting shells, put them in two piles, put them in three piles. You know, that's all easier when they're when they're younger to do stuff like that, but tons of opportunities to do. Let's go back. You said you had to file a letter of intent with your local school board. How did you prove that children learned? Every state is different on how they do it. So I can only speak for the state of Virginia. You do need to show proof of progress. So there are end of the year tests you can take. There's like a CAT test, there's Stanford, there's the Iowa test. I know there's a ton more. Um, You can also do an evaluation and have someone come in and evaluate the kids and talk to the kids about what they've learned and give them different samples. We've done both because I wanted to see what both was like. We started with just doing the testing at the end of the year. So once the kids take the test, you just send off the results to the state and let them know that there's been progress made. And as long as there's progress made, they're fine. We also did an evaluation because I wanted to see what the difference was. I guess my, my thought was with the evaluation, I wanted someone to get to know my, my child. I didn't want to take a standardized test. So I kind of made the switch over. I wanted someone to get to know my child. I wanted someone to see and let them talk about what they were learning instead of just taking the standard test. Again, nothing is wrong with the standard test. We did it for years. We just made a switch toward the end. And I also made the switch because I know how anxious my son would get with testing. So we made the switch and we tried it. And with the evaluation, you would have someone come in and they talk to your child and they get to know them. And then, you know, your, your kids are showing them what they've done, you know, whether, Hey, I was in a play. Hey, I was in dance. I did this and how math ties into dance moves. You have to count this. And then how you're doing this. My son who entered um, a bug contest for entomology, you know, this is what I got, you know, showing everything. I wrote a report on this. So they actually get to know your child and then they write a letter, um, an evaluation. They send it to you and they also send a copy to your local school as well, which is another way to show proof of progress. So we've done both ways. I can't say that one is better than the other. Did your son prepare a portfolio? 
where people could also look through a book and see exhibits about his learning, as well as just talking with him? We did. We kept a little bit of both. Um, now, it wasn't necessarily required in our state to have the portfolio, but when I decided to do the evaluation, I knew we would need stuff to show. So we started saving stuff like, hey, let's write down what we did during this month and what you can pull as exhibits. What did we do during this month and what we would pull? So that's how we started doing that so that when it came time for the end of the year, he could go and get his stuff and he could just sit with the lady and, and talk to her here. He could just go through like each month and say, this is what I did. And he could show her different things from that month. It takes a lot of organization on mom and dad, but it's well worth it. Let's go back to the early years. I would think that it was a lot more hands-on for you when they were younger, as opposed to when they were in middle school and high school. It is definitely a lot more hands-on. When they're younger, kindergarten, first, second grade, even though they're learning, it doesn't, it, it's not a whole day of school. You think public and private school goes from, you know, 830 to three, I believe. There's also time for lunch. When it's time to line up for the bathroom, you have 20 to 30 kids going to the bathroom. So it takes a lot longer. When you're doing math, you have 20 or 30 kids. So when it's just you and your one child, you have more flexibility. We did lots of play, lots of hands-on, but you're kind of shaping the kids and you're molding the kids. A lot of reading. I read with them. When my daughter learned to read, she read to me. We played a lot of games. We did lots of field trips and we did lots of play groups when the kids were younger, because that's another way of learning through play groups, through games. Again, school doesn't just need to be where you sit down and do it at the table. You can do it through many different ways. And that's, that's how we did it. Even going to the grocery store can be a learning field trip. Absolutely. You know, everybody would have their little list and they would know what they had to get off their list to put into the cart. So they would, we would all make our list, you know, whether it would be two or three things here, two or three things there. everyone would look for those and trying to show like, so this is typically what I do, trying to show like price comparisons and, and just starting little stuff like that with them. You know, now they're at the age where I can just send a list and they know what I'm looking for. So it, it does, it's everything can be a learning experience for the kids. When I taught kids with more severe disabilities, I used to gather the flyers from the different grocery stores. And one of the lessons would be you know, we have $10 and we have to make dinner for five people and they would plan out a menu. So that was looking at nutrition, looking at a budget for, or the ingredients, and then looking at a budget and looking at what they needed to buy from the store. And then we would go to the store and buy that. And oftentimes we would come back to our school. I had a full kitchen and we would prepare it the next day for lunch or for a, a snack. And the kids love doing that. Exactly. It's hands-on. They've done something and now they're executing it so they can see the results. And that's what the kids want to do. They want to see the outcome. They want to see what happens. So that's exactly, you know, what they're looking for. And that's how you keep their attention. They stay interested through learning that way. And even with money, having to 
know how much money to give to the cashier or knowing how much change needed to come back. So there were so many lessons built in that I see easily adapted and expanded in a homeschool curriculum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, it's a good opportunity. Homeschooling is not for everyone. I understand that. And I know a lot of people kind of think during COVID, they did do the homeschooling. They did the school at home, which unfortunately is completely different. So they didn't really get the full benefit of the homeschooling because a lot of homeschoolers didn't close down during the pandemic. We just kept going because nothing changed for us. And there was so much anxiety about COVID to begin with. And then when you throw all of that learning onto families who are not prepared for it, it is, it was a a difficult situation for so many families. Exactly. Now, when you talked about having this letter of intent and you have the evaluation or your children take standardized tests to show learning. Is there any requirement for you as a parent or homeschool teacher to have a degree in something or any kind of specific qualifications? Uh, You have to hold a high school diploma. That's it. I do believe that, and I'm not very familiar about this. I do not really want to put too much out there. I know some people I've seen in some of the groups talk about, can they do it with GEDs? I am not for sure how that works. And again, I'm only familiar with pretty much like the Virginia stuff, but for Virginia, you definitely have to have a high school diploma. Now, what about high school graduation? How did you prove that your children satisfied all of the requirements for graduation? Followed along with the county just to make sure I was covering everything. I mean, we had no intention of sending our kids back. However, if one of them really wanted to go, it definitely would have been doable. So we wanted to make sure slightly what we were doing was lining up with the county so that the kids would never be really hurt from if they ever had to go back to a school setting. We just basically followed along with that. We tried to make sure there was three, three English, three science, three math, three history, the two, two to three years of foreign language. And we tried to get a good amount of electives in there. Even when we sent in our notice of intent, I would always say plan to teach math, science, history, English. And then at the end of the year, when I would send in our results, I would say, this is this year, you know, my son and or daughter took, and I would list every subject out that they took so that they would see what they were taking. That's how we kept track. So then I started my online transcripts for the kids and I would just enter in every year what classes they took if it was a half a credit or full credit and what they got, what their, their score was at the end of the year, whether it was an A, a B, a C. And then I would know like, okay, so this year you have six credits. So it's going to take you four years, you know, or this year, perhaps you got X amount of credits. That's how we kept track of our credits. So when the kids had their credits that they needed, um, they could graduate. I know a lot of homeschool parents, There's talk about like when you feel like they've satisfied the requirements, they're ready to graduate. I was probably a little bit more like, I think we need to really stick a little bit, be a little bit more strict about this. Um, So when they were done, our local homeschool group that I was uh, mentioning before, they have a big graduation at the end of the year. 
There's also a couple of um, the Heave. It's a home educators group of Virginia. They have a graduation. So when your kids are ready to graduate, you contact. I mean, you just say, hey, I'd like to, you know, whether it's through Heave or it's the group that we were in, you let them know that they've satisfied the requirements. Now, the lady who ran our local homeschool group, she knew they had satisfied their requirements because we had been with them the group for 11 years. So she saw my kids grow up from, you know, kindergarten and third grade on. So she knew what they were capable of. She saw them taking different classes. So at the end of it, you just apply for graduation and then your kids graduate and you need to be able to show a diploma. Um, so then when they went off to school, I just made a copy of their high school diploma and I took a copy of their transcripts to the community college. How did you get the online transcript? How did you go about doing that? There are different websites you can go to. Some you can download for free. Um, some you can pay. Um, I believe there's a program through the Heave that I just mentioned, Home Educators of Virginia Association, where you can get a transcript service as well. A friend of mine had a free one, so I used hers as my, my go-to copy. And I just basically made it for our school, the Smith Academy. And I just I would list down the years that they attended and what they learned in ninth grade, all their subjects. So again, lots of different programs you can learn while you're you know, downloading. You can pay or you can do for free. And they have GPA calculators online so you can calculate GPAs. So you just mentioned Smith Academy. So you actually formed your own homeschool. We just used our last name and we just stuck Academy behind it, yes. When you apply to the local college, the community college, did they give you any kind of grief about not having a public school diploma? Did they require the children to take entrance exams? How did that process go? It's kind of funny. When my son went in, it was right before the pandemic hit because he hadn't taken the SAT or anything and he was still in high school. They said he did need to take an entrance exam, which was fine. We were prepared for it. So he took his English exam on I think it was a Tuesday or a Monday. And then when he went back the next day to take the math exam, they said, you know, we have to close because of the pandemic. And we just got word we're waiving all of the entrance exams. Very lucky for him because he doesn't like math. So they took his, his transcripts and they said, you know, based on where he is, this is where he could place at in the class. That's how we decided which where he was going to go with what classes he was going to start with. But no, they do not give you grief. And again, we're in a, a very well-populated homeschool community. There are a lot of homeschoolers in our area. So it's not like when um, kids go to the school, to the community college, they're not familiar with this at all. They are very familiar with homeschoolers. Not all areas are like that. That's what I, I hear. And I guess because we are near DC, it's pretty popular here. So I'm assuming probably maybe out in the rural areas, it's not as popular. So I do believe they probably have a tougher time, which is unfortunate because, you know, again, homeschoolers are very bright. It's, it's what the parents, I don't want to put it back on the parents, but it does kind of start with the parents. Now, let me ask about your extended family. What was the reaction of the grandparents? 
were they supportive of this? My parents are deceased. My mother-in-law was surprised. She, she just really, I don't want to say she couldn't believe it, but she was surprised, but not like you shouldn't do this. And she's like, if anybody can do it, you guys can do it. It worked out. She lived out of state. So we had lots of trips back and forth to her house. So I don't think we ever really came up against anyone in the family that didn't support it. We, we did have a lot of questions about why would you want to do that? Again, living in a more populated area where things are the way they are today was also somewhat of a concern. We just knew it was the right move for our family. And that's, we just stuck by our convictions. We just said, you know, this is the right thing for our family and this is what we're doing. So sometimes people would want to quiz the kids just to kind of see, you're just like, you know, come on now. (laughs) But you know, it's, you do what works best for your family. And I think I always try to tell like new parents that are starting because they're always like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like the best thing that you can do every year when you're sending in that progress report and you're just, you're having butterflies in your stomach or the next year when you're sending in your notice of intent and you're saying to yourself, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, you're doing it right because you're so worried that you're going to do it wrong. You know, you're doing it right. You're never 100% confident in what you're doing. I shouldn't say that because I'm sure some people are. I never felt 100%. I always wanted to make sure I was going that extra mile the whole time through so my kids could have what they needed so that they were learning. And I did worry every year, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Should I do more? Sometimes my kids are just like, you really got to stop. We have enough. And I'm like, okay. So you just, you take your lead from your kids as well, but it's always good for a homeschool parent to question themselves. I think that's a normal, a normal thing. And it just, it does mean that you are very conscious and you are doing the right thing for your kids. Now that both of your children have graduated, is there anything that you would have done differently looking back over the 11, 12 years? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Share that with us. (laughs) I wouldn't have been so stressed. I would not have been so stressed about, am I doing it right? Um, I know that's normal. When you listen to other families and they're telling you everything your ki- their kids are doing, you're always thinking, am I not doing enough? I would have just really worried only about my kids and not try to let outside influences come in. I would have been a lot more relaxed, but I think that's a normal thing for homeschool parents and they don't realize it until they're out of that. I think I would have just been more like, this is okay. It's okay. We're, we're getting through this. We're chugging. We're learning every day. And you don't realize that until you start getting out of it, until you're removed when your kids are in high school. You're like, they did learn every day. I can relax a little bit, but I probably would have been a lot more laid back. But, you know, I, I guess for me, I just needed to make sure I was doing the right thing and I was staying on top of everything, which is fine. But I probably would have taken a little bit more of um, a laid back approach instead of like, here we go. Here's our everything. You know, you just, you do what works best for your family, but yeah, I definitely would have been more relaxed. That's, that's the truth. And and not question myself on everything, wanting to make sure you're doing the right thing, wanting to make sure you're giving them enough and you're providing them with every opportunity they deserve. I would think for a family who likes to travel, homeschooling is the ticket because you can then pick your travel times around the less populated times so that you can go to Disney when there it's not a hundred degrees outside and 
you know, a hundred people waiting in line to go down Space Mountain. Yes. And that's what we did. We would go visit my mother-in-law who lives at the beach. We would spend a few weeks there in September once everybody went back, but we were also involved with homeschool groups in that area. So we still got to see all of our friends. It wasn't like we were just going with no one else. We had friends in different states when we knew we were traveling. I would search for people. I would search for groups like, hey, is there any homeschooling groups in this area? We're going to be here on this day. And we would meet people. We did a, a postcard collection one year where we had people from all the states send us postcards. If they knew us, we would ask them to write how they knew us. Some people we didn't know, and they would just send us postcards because they knew we were looking. It was a really fun thing to do, and we still have the postcards. So that was a lot of fun to do. Like, hey, we met you when you were in Iowa. Hey, we met you here. And still, when some of those kids travel, they still send us postcards. So it is kind of a neat thing to have and to look back at. In your homeschool group, do you see grandparents homeschooling children or is it just parents? Grandparents are there. I'm one of the older homeschool parents because I didn't have kids till later in life. So I kind of hung out with the grandparents because they're more my age, but lots of grandparents, some aunts and uncles. It's not just moms and dads and it's so worth it. I have a big question to ask you. Now that your children are in college, what are you doing with your time? definitely going to be doing some volunteer work. My husband's retired. So we're going to spend a little bit of time together. He was forced into retirement when the pandemic hit. So even though he's been home, there's been a lot going on. I did, um, I led the drama group at our local homeschool group. So we've done that for a couple of years. He's been involved. So we've still done a, a bunch of running back and forth. So I'm not for sure. I'm trying to decide if I want to go back and pursue some ASL studies or if I would like to work with seniors. We've done foster care for many years. My babies had small kids. I loved all of it. But I also kind of want to see the flip side and maybe work with some seniors who might have some challenges. It's just kind of trying to figure out which is the way to go. I certainly wish you well in whatever path you pursue. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anything you want to add or ask me or one last piece of advice to give to listeners? What would you like to wrap this up with? If you're thinking about homeschooling, I say go for it. You're never going to know until you try it. And just because you do it one year doesn't mean you have to do it forever. You, You can always put your kids in school again if you want to and then you can take them out again later. It's really, it's the your call as a parent. But if there's any, any inkling that says, I think I really want to do it, then you should try it because otherwise you're going to live with, I should have, I could have, I would have just do it, just do it and try it. I mean, there's so much out there for the most part. There's a lot of support. Even if you hop online, there's a lot of virtual support there and tons of information. Most homeschoolers really want to help the next person succeed. They're in this together. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.